Welcome to episode 43 of EIU Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Rich Moser. On today's episode, we talk hoops as we are joined by former Eastern Illinois women's basketball standout, Rachel Galligan. Galligan, a EIU Athletic Hall of Fame selection, ended her EIU playing days as the Panthers career scoring leader. On today's episode, we talk about her time as a Panthers player, her career in the college coaching world, and her current occupation, which has kept her tied to the game at both the collegiate and professional levels. Want to hear more episodes in our series? Then be sure to follow and like us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can search EIU Panthers Podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Consolidated Communications is a proud sponsor of Eastern Illinois Athletics. Learn more about the future of broadband for both your home or your business by visiting Consolidated.com today. The regular season is coming to an end for EIU Panther Athletics as the EIU baseball team will compete in its final regular season series on the road this weekend, the Panthers still with a shot to make the Ohio Valley Conference Tournament. Congratulations to the athletes on the men's and women's track team for successful conference championship last weekend hosted at O'Brien Field. Those performances included numerous medals by Panther student-athletes. The EIU men's team won its 18th OVC Outdoor Track and Field Championship, while head coach Brenton Emanuel, our guest last week on EIU Panthers podcast, was the OVC men's coach of the year. Adam Swanson, also a recent podcast guest, was named both the OVC male track athlete and the OVC male freshman of the year. Charleston native McKenna Wilson was named the female athlete of the championships for the Panthers. To stay up to date on the latest news, schedule, stats, and more relating to Eastern Illinois athletics, then be sure to visit the official athletics website, eiupanthers.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at EIU underscore Panthers. Now to this week's episode of EIU Panthers podcast with former EIU women's basketball standout, Rachel Galligan. And welcome to another edition of EIU Panthers Podcast. We are joined today by former Eastern Illinois, we want to say all-time leading scorer, Rachel Galligan. But Rachel, as we'll talk during the program, was surpassed shortly after after she left her, her EIU career. But Rachel, thanks for joining us here on the program. I'm thrilled to be back. I miss EIU so much. So happy to chat with you today, Rich. I hope everyone's doing well. And I, I, I joke with you there is it, it I, you broke the, the record Nancy Kassebaum had held and I probably held for 20, 25 years when, when you broke it. And a lot of times when you break a record, it's one of those things that I think you feel like, well, it, it's good to have this. I'm, maybe I'll hold it for a long time. I want to say to Kenya bro- Nixon broke yours within maybe five or six years after you graduated. I want to say, yeah, I mean, maybe not even that long. It might've been, two or three, to be honest with you, because I coached her as soon as I was done basically playing overseas. So it might've been about three years, but yeah, shout out to Takenya. I mean, she was three times the player I ever was. So she certainly deserves it. <laughs> but um, a, a different type of player. And we're going to talk a little bit about your coaching career, your playing career, and kind of what, what you're up to now. It's what we always do here on the podcast, trying to to reconnect with with alums from from different eras when you came to Eastern, you, you kind of came and you would be one of that collective group of, of players that I think kind of maybe helped build a foundation. And there's been different periods of success in women's basketball here at Eastern. You and you came in with a group in the mid two thousands. And when you guys came, the program had not had a lot of success. So 
what was the kind of the, what's the recruiting pitch to you as, as a young player to come into a program that, that doesn't have success? I, I mean, I'm always curious. It's easy to look at it now when you've won, but back then Eastern would have won maybe, you know, three to six or seven games at a time when you were being recruited. Yeah. It's funny. I can remember vividly seeing um, my coach Brady Sally at the time um, coming into the, the tournament that I was playing at somewhere in the middle of Illinois that summer um, headed into my senior year of high school. And I remember him watching me and I didn't really think twice. I was not heavily recruited at all. Um, I was pretty much, uh, I was very much under the radar. Um, so I had aspirations of, you know, the Illinois States, the Bradleys, I had, I had talked to UIC and it was really close to committing there. Um, but I, something told me to kind of hold off. And I remember that spring and I signed really late. Like I made a decision the spring of my senior year. You almost never see that anymore. Um, I got a phone call from Brady and he's like, Hey, met Eastern Illinois, you know, my first, my first recruiting class. And he was all about me. And I remember one of the first things that went through my head, I was like, is Eastern division one or division two. <laughs> and I'm, I was a hundred miles from Bloomington to, to Charleston. So I remember asking that question and being such a hoop head. And, and I think at that time, um, you know, the, the program had struggled and, and it was not, a an established basketball school at that point within the state. And, and um, for someone like me, I felt like I, I should have known that, <laughs> you know, so maybe that's a knock on me. I don't know, but um, you know, Brady, Brady came at me pretty hard. And, and at that point I felt like it was important to uh, go to a school that uh, really believed in me. You know, I really didn't have a lot of schools that saw me as a program changer, saw me as someone they wanted to really invest in. So I took a quick trip to Eastern. Uh, we ate at Subway um, just kind of walked around campus and I quickly realized that this was, um, a place that really fit me as a person. Uh, I was around like-minded people as yourself and, and just through, you know, the, the university through the, um, you know, the, the, the athletics, um, I just really felt like I was home and, uh, it took some, some convincing. I don't think I waited too long, but he offered me and, um, I, I pretty much just the ultimate decision was, I get a chance to go be a part of something that's far bigger than myself. And I get a chance to build something really from the ground up. And uh, that really resonated with me. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I remember walking through campus and this has been a hot topic lately because they actually just made one of Asia Wilson. Anyone who follows the women's basketball knows who Asia Wilson is. And I remember seeing the, the statue of Nancy Kessenbaum. Well, it's modeled after Nancy Kessenbaum outside of Lance Arena. And I remember just like being in awe that Eastern Illinois had a statue of a woman outside um, of its arena. I was just absolutely taken by that. Uh, I thought that was a really incredible thing. And um, it just really, I don't know, it resonated with me. So you combine that along with, you know, the, the pitch that Brady was giving me about building something and being a part of something bigger than myself and truly believing, me, believing in me. And it was a no brainer. Now for you that you were by no means the only person in that class, a, a couple different Young ladies came in as well. Ellen Canale, Megan Edwards, Lindsay Clumpers, just to, to name a few. And, and that group, you always look at, is there a one of those that, I mean, you became a group, but is there one of those players that you kind of automatically clicked with that's, that maybe helped you decide that, hey, this this is the right place to go? And, and, maybe, and maybe you guys didn't click right away and you became great friends later on. You know, you know, what's crazy is uh, they had all signed in the fall and they all came in and did their official visit together. And they thought that that was their core. I think there were six of us total in that class. 
Uh, there were five of them and they really thought I mean, they were close. They knew each other. Um, I was kind of a, a surprise that came about later. I remember literally moving in to campus and some of them had not realized that I was going to be on the team. So it was not something where I um, had a close relationship with my future teammates. And we always laughed about it because we all still to this day remain very close. We're all scattered across the country, but um, you know, I, that they were not the deciding factor. I did like the idea that there was a, a big class of us and we were going to do it together, but I didn't get a chance to meet them before I made my decision at all. Now for you, you you've already mentioned this. You, you're from the Bloomington normal area, went to Bloomington Catholic. So being close to home was probably a little bit of a factor for you. And people may or may not know this about your story. You guys had, you had a little bit of a, some personal tragedies early on in your, your college career. How did that going through that help solidify you and bring you closer together with your teammates, but then also maybe help build, I guess, maybe a catalyst for what drove you the rest of your college career? It's so strange. You know, I, I, my mother passed away about two weeks into my college career, um, really unexpected. And being 100 miles from home, and I mean, she had just dropped me off at school. Um, and that, that Sunday before, I was able to take kind of a trip home um, and just see my family for a few hours. And then that next, that next week is when she passed away. And it was, it was everything you would think that that would be gut wrenching and heartbreaking. And I was confused and lost and just devastated. But what I will say is Eastern became my, I guess, escape from my pain, you know, and and the sorrow. And, And my mother was so excited for me to go to Eastern. She was so excited to watch me play. Um, she was thrilled about how close I was going to be, but at the same time going off on my own. And, you know, that, that, that was a period of time where I had my coaches, my, my teammates, all of them really rallied around me. Um, and I can, you know, very vividly remember um, that that day, the, the, the following period of time. And, you know, I just, I was able to handle it. You know, everyone, there's no right or wrong way to handle a loss of a parent, let alone a mother. Um, But just diving into this new opportunity, diving into this new town, this new school, this new group of friends, there was so much excitement surrounding my freshman year. Um, You know, obviously still a lot of pain too. I remember coming home from from games and crying on the back of the bus. But at the same time, we had, um, you know, maybe won a big game. So it was was a very emotional time, but I, I had such a great group of people around me from top to bottom around the university. And, and, and I think it, it became my home. It became truly a second family. And a lot of people um, say that, and I think they say it lightly. I mean it with, with every bit of my heart, because, you know, when you're, when you're struggling through that and you're going through a loss like that, especially with so much change in your life, um, you need those people around you. They went through it with me. They went through every step along the way. Um, and honestly, it, it, it helped me really cope with everything. Now for you, you, we talk about how you guys came in as a group to build a foundation and you guys over the course of four years, you go from not winning a whole lot of games your first year and and you you, you take your lumps. But at the end, you guys played for an OBC championship, weren't able to to hoist the trophy at the end. But even though the, the job wasn't necessarily done, do you feel like the career was what you thought it would be in terms of we came in to try to build something and and you felt like, you know, we at least got close to our goal, goal, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on this. And as painful as everything ended my senior year, that double overtime loss in Nashville, I will never forget it. Still very difficult to talk about for me. But 
um, you know, I don't think you ever get over being that close to going dancing and the way it ended. But, you know, it goes back to what I was saying. I think we all really had to learn, you know, we had to learn about ourselves. We had to learn um, how to win. And when you're truly going through those growing pains of not being very good, thinking that you're the top dog coming from your high school, you've got it all figured out, you're, you want to do it your way, uh, to having to hit that adversity and to really look in the mirror and, and look at this, this, this coach who's driving you crazy with everything he's demanding from you. You know, we were forced to, especially in that second year, our freshman year, I don't think we knew what was going on. You know, we were just happy to win 10 games because that's what the team before us had done. We felt like we had accomplished something. Um, and then that second year, we thought, okay, you know, we're going to be pretty good. And then to win 10 games again, it was kind of like, we got to, we, we have work to do. This is not uh, what we came here to do. This is not um, what we're about and, and we're missing the boat here. So I think that transition from our sophomore year to our junior year, and don't forget, we were like, we lost like the first seven games of our junior season. It was, <laughs> it was like the worst start you could ever imagine. And, and that, that period of time was, was tough. And we had to spend a lot of time looking in the mirror and, and again, buying in, you hear coaches talk about buy-in um, and what does that mean? from a team and as a player and um, really being selfless and, and buying into what the coach is asking you to do. Uh, there were some tough moments and we ended up, you know, going on a huge run that, that our, the, re the remainder of our junior season, I think we ended up winning, you know, 19 and something. Um, but it, it was a rough start. And um, I think our senior year, we ended up breaking the school record for wins in the season, which super proud of, but um, obviously we would have loved to have hoisted a trophy. I never won a championship at Eastern. Um, we never won a championship at Eastern. Um, but I think, you know, reflecting on it later on in my life, um, you know, if I'm being honest and true about joining a program that was um, bigger than myself and trying to build something that was bigger than myself, then that has, that was accomplished, you know, cause you'll look at what our class kind of was able to do that first class with Brady. And then those who came after were able to kind of take the baton and carry it on. And they won the o OBC regular season, um, obviously had some dominant teams in, in those following years as well. So uh, I think there was a sense of pride in just that era of Eastern Illinois basketball and, um, you know, what the teams after us were able to do. And, and you'll talk to them now, like to Kenya, a lot of those players who I was able to coach for a couple of years would say, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do these things if it wasn't for you guys. And that was a really cool, um, just different conversations we would have uh, that, that they recognized that it made us, made us feel a little special. <laughs> now from there you you, you had, a, had a great career here at Eastern several times all conference um you you end up making the hall of fame several years afterwards had an opportunity to play professional basketball overseas and we're going to kind of tie a lot of these things here together as we go through the podcast how professional basketball your love for basketball and then your next step in order in fact you go overseas and you play basketball that doesn't work out doesn't always work out for people and I'll let you tell the story about, I think you even told me that you were great in play and they didn't, they didn't pay you. So you decided you can't play for free for very long. You'd already done that in your life. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I had a chance to go play overseas um, in Spain. It was beautiful. At that point I was using basketball as an avenue to let me see the world. Um, it was one of those things where if I'm being honest, I went into it saying, I'm going to give it a try but nothing's ever going to compare to what college was for me. So we gave it a shot. Um, it was, 
you know, it was, it was, it was different, very different. You know, you're dealing with the new culture language barriers. Um, they say I was not as tall as they thought I was going to be. So therefore <laughs> they weren't going to pay me. And, um, you know, it's always funny, you know, it's very eye opening uh, to, as we talk about the professional world of, of, of women's sports, especially on international scale. Um, my own experience is, you know, like you said, it can be very common to see things like this, but I uh, was really happy to do it and was really happy to have that, that experience. But ultimately it kind of came down to, um, you know, do I hang them up and start my coaching career, you know, or do I keep trying to play? Uh, I was pretty sure I knew where my heart was with that. I wanted to um, get into coaching and start my, my professional career. And you got into the coaching, you were coaching at Bloomington Central or both Bloomington Catholic where you had played at, but we were nice enough to pluck Rachel out and start her on a, on a secondary career here. We had her come down and for people that remember that era, she served as a Cullen commentator on our women's basketball TV radio broadcasts. And I, I, I touch on that because part of what you do now on the side and is not as your, your primary job is as you do work in the media industry. And what was, I guess, how did maybe that experience help you to kind of get to where you're doing nowadays? I, I loved it. I mean, anyone, Brady and, and everyone around me would always laugh. If you give me a microphone, like it's like a kid in a candy store. And I, I try not to be too embarrassed about it. I like to talk um, as you can tell. So um, to be able at that time to have that experience and analyze the game um, just a year or two removed was really cool. John Twerk was a true professional shout out to John Twerk. Um, and it was fun. I, I had a, I still have a very deep passion for um, commentary of the game. I still do it for the mountain West out here in Colorado. So um, it's, that was kind of where I got my first start. I loved every second of it. I took it very seriously. Um, and, you know, anyone who really knows me knows that the media world is always going to be a part of my life in one way or another. Now that the, one of the things we'll, we'll kind of segue into, we'll, we'll go back to kind of your coaching a little bit. You, you did that, but you talk a lot the media stuff now and, and Rachel's a, a big fan of the game of women's basketball, not just because she played, but because of, of kind of what she thinks the opportunities that it provides. You now work, I know you, you do some freelance writing covering the WNBA and also in college. What have you noticed maybe from the time that you played as a, as a player to where the game is maybe now? Oh my gosh. I mean, I just think social media has changed everything. <laughs> um, you know, back when I was in college, we had the Facebook, you know, and it was like, you could only have it if you're in college. And, and it, I, you know, there was some Instagram and, but it's not what it is today. So I, I do think that women's basketball, especially at the collegiate level, um, especially the last five years, you know, talking about final fours and just the women's game in general is, is, has gained so much momentum, so much traction. I think the, the level of talent continues to grow on an international scale, on a, on a global scale. Um, you know, this, this game is growing. And so it's been really fun to be a part of that from so many different angles. I probably, um, I, I realized I wanted to be around the game one way or another. Uh, and I, I want to view the game in, in many different ways, just to continue to stay sharp, to continue to learn. Um, so I'm very fortunate to kind of design my life to do a lot of different things around it in the media world wasn't necessarily something from a writing standpoint I expected to be in. Um, but fortunately, you know, I, I'm able to use my experience as a coach to really bring a unique perspective. Um, and I think that that has really taken off, but the game has grown just on a skill standpoint, um, 
astronomically. And I just think from a social media standpoint, the visibility is, is as high as it's ever been. So we're seeing more outlets, um, more channels um, wanting to create content surrounding the game. And I think that's, isn't, isn't that all we can ask for? Now you do cover both the college game and you cover the WNBA game. What, what would you say are the, the biggest differences maybe between the, the two in terms of how, how view, fans view them? how fans view them. I think the WNBA has built, um, I'm sorry, it's snowing again out here in Colorado. <laughs> like, what is going on? It's May. Uh, Rachel's think- in Colorado okay, <laughs> while we're doing this podcast. So if you're in Illinois and you're listening to this, it is not snowing outside your window right now. It's cold, but it's not quite that cold. <laughs> um, I think the WNBA in particular the last three or four years has, has gained a lot of attention. Um, the college game in so many ways is still the pinnacle of women's um, basketball. I think, especially if we're talking about the high major levels, the way they travel, the resources that are in place, um, you know, there's still so much room to grow in both avenues, but, you know, we have more people talking about the WNBA now in their 25th season than we did even just three years ago. Um, It's got a huge movement on social media and, and, you know, you even see other professional sports teams really rallying around this league. And it's fascinating to see. And I think that um, it just continues to grow. It's definitely trending in the right direction, but I mean, obviously college basketball, um, especially at the highest levels, you know, from a, from a resources standpoint, you know, I saw something recently where like um, Nikki Collins, she was the head coach of the Atlanta dream just took over uh, at Baylor as the head coach. And some of her players were, were giving her crap about, hey, enjoy, enjoy flying private while we're over here still flying commercial. So, you know, people got to remember the WNBA is just 25 years old. Uh, it's nowhere near uh, where we, we want it to be. Uh, but you have college teams flying, flying privately, unlimited resources, unlimited funding, um, whereas WNBA is still very much behind in that aspect. So, yeah. You talk about the, the WNBA there and interesting for them is, and I don't want to say that it, it, and I don't know that it was positive or negative. It may just depend on what side of the, the, the issue you're, you're sometimes on, on these things is they were really kind of caught up in a lot of the social justice movement, things that happened last year. And I think when you look at the makeup of players in the WNBA, that, that really hits home for them. And I, is, is that something that you felt was, you know, really helped move the, the needle and maybe gain, gain them more fans, or was it a way that, maybe help them break out of the, the mix of other sports. And I don't, and I don't know that that's a, I'm not trying to get, be controversial on that, but I, I know it seemed like for, unfortunately for them, I think, and more of the attention was placed on them doing the movement than them, than them being, being athletes. And they really, for some of those young, those ladies there, they kind of go hand in hand. For sure. I do think that, you know, the women of the WBA are extremely, um, powerful in, you know, the, the things that they stand by. And I, I have to commend their voices and, and um, you know, just how they continue to push the envelope. I think that um, a lot of the social justice and, and things, you know, equality, the things that the WNBA players use, um, not use, but push and use their voices for have created so much more visibility for them. Um, I do think that you know, it's empowered a lot of women. It's empowered a lot of other leagues. And I think last year in particularly, uh, last summer, you know, right on the, the 
really the early end of, of COVID-19 and a lot of stuff happening in the world, it was a period of time where kind of all eyes were on the WNBA. I mean, being able to find a way to make a bubble work alongside the NBA could not have been easy. And so there were so many different challenges last year, but to be able to kind of, I guess, embrace those challenges and come together as a league and, and push the envelope the way they did was, was extremely um, powerful and really beneficial for the league. Now I will say on the flip side, and I'm a huge advocate for this, you know, I have some different outlets that, you know, I've, I've considered working for or, or wanting to write about. I always tell people, you know, we, we've got to remember this is, this is basketball. I want to talk about basketball. Um, I want to talk X's and O's. I want to say, why did Elena Deladon come off this double stagger screen as opposed to refusing it? You know, so we have to remember that, you know, being able to analyze and break down the games um, and talk X's and O's is, is at times, in my opinion, gets lost a little bit. I'm just being honest. Um, it's interesting. I'll have some players on my podcast and I did a little series last summer that was called Film Breakdown. And I had some players on and they were like, we're going to get to talk basketball, right? <laughs> so, you know, the coverage in general is growing. The coverage is, is loud at times. Uh, do we need more? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, any coverage at this point from whatever angle you're looking at this league from is great. Uh, but I, I think my approach this particular summer is to continue to push the envelope that, um, you know, was pushed last year into this year, but also really breaking down the games. That's my strength, you know, is, is as a player and former coach is, is talking X's and O's. So for me, that's, that's my personal approach with um, let's just talk basketball. So um, I don't know if that really answers your question. That's good there. And so you actually leave me in another question. You talked about there, you, you were a coach, you, you were the former assistant coach. You had been an assistant coach here at Eastern. You were an assistant coach for a brief period of time at Ball State with Brady Salee and then at a, at a couple other, other stops. Out of coaching now, what do you maybe miss most about coaching or in the avenues that you're in now at the media, have you been able to kind of fill that void that, that you had from coaching? No, it's hard. It's hard. And I'm in constant... Um, I don't know how to, what the right word, uh, conflict with myself because I'm a very social person. I love being part of a team. So I do, I miss being a part of a team. I will always consider myself a coach first. That's how I just view the world. So um, I have to give Brady a lot of credit for that as he taught me a lot in my, my young coaching career. But, you know, I, I do miss being a part of a team. I miss um, that camaraderie. Um, it, it, I work from home or I work from really anywhere at any given time and that, that provides a lot of flexibility, but at the same time, um, you know, you miss, you miss being out on the court. You miss being out in practice. You might, you miss playing against the girls, even though I don't know if I could do it anymore, at least in the half court. Um, I do get, get calls from time to time asking if I'm, um, interested or would be interested in getting back in. And I'm, I never leave that, um, off the table. I think that is a very real possibility that could happen again in the future. Now, for you, it's one of the things that you were able to do in coaching is you kind of were able to build those connections. Recruiting became one of your one of your strong suits. That's kind of what you do right now for, for part of your living. You go global, go global recruiting is the, the company that you're with. And I guess explain a little bit about that. Is it as simple as the term says where you guys help with with global recruiting of international players wanting to come to the US? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, when, when I was in that first year at Eastern as an assistant, Brady said, I want to recruit internationally. And I was like, how do I do that? And he said, I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> um, 
talk about being thrown into the fire on a global scale. And I, and I did, I, I embraced it um, with, with open arms. And I mean, I love traveling and I had a chance to go over there and really, really study the game on an international scale. And I realized that, that there's a lot of talent over there and there's a lot of girls and families that don't have the same resources we have here to help get players recruited or even their questions answered. What does it mean to take an SAT? You know, what does it mean to play division one versus division two? You know, what, what does it mean the OBC versus the SEC? So I, um, I knew deep down really that first year that I wanted to start my own thing someday. That was a deep, deep, um, I guess, dream of mine was to start my own international scouting service um, to help players and to help connect the coaches. So really I'm just a bridge um, that connects the players to the college coaches over here. Um, I really work just primarily in Europe. It's not um, anything beyond that. With, with, with it being just me, I, I don't want to grow too fast. I don't want to uh, bite off more than I can chew, but it's been really rewarding. We're, we're entering, I say we, I am entering into my fourth year. I do have some great partners over in Spain who um, have been huge allies in this, but um, really, really, really proud of it. I actually just had a few meetings this morning and a player that just um, committed. And so it's always fun to help create opportunities and, and dreams and, and guide players and their families along the process while helping the coaches too. Now, when you're helping with that, I always wonder that the, the game, on, and I would, and maybe it translates on the women's side as well. I would say the men's game, the European game on the men's side is different than the European game that you see in college and even in the NBA. Is, is that similar for the, for the women or the game is the game much closer between the way like American women would play as opposed to European women? There's definitely big differences and it's really appealing to, um, I guess, for the American coaches to go try to recruit internationally, you know, they play faster. They play with a lot quicker of a shot clock. Whereas, you know, um, our archaic uh, high school system here still allows you to spread the floor, four corners and stall for, for six minutes. Um, so I think you, you have a lot of differences in terms of just skill um, movement off the ball, understanding of spacing. Um, just, I think the overall basketball IQ, um, just the way they play, is really appealing to American coaches. I think the biggest reason is just that ability to play fast, um, playing out of pick and rolls, the decision-making out of that um, is, is usually really fun to see. But, um, you know, obviously they, they look at Americans and think, man, this is the best competition in the world. I want to play against the best of the best. And, you know, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. And that's very much true. You know, that the, the top players in Europe don't have the same resources we have here. Um, from a grassroots standpoint to a collegiate standpoint. They don't even have college teams. So, um, you know, it's a huge draw for them to come over here and play and, and learn a new style um, and to push themselves even further, especially if they have aspirations of one day being a pro. Um, it's a great avenue for them to get an education and to play against the best in the world, in their opinion, a lot of them. Um, so there's a big push to go recruit internationally. And, and I think there's a different mentality to a lot of those players at times, people, people think that international players can be, you know, maybe a little more mature or um, experienced or, you know, different things like that. Um, it's, it's, it varies by country as, as, as any country really would, but 
uh, yeah, there's big differences. And, and if you know how to coach international style of basketball and implement that within your system, it can be a really good, really good fit. Okay. Now, when you've been over there, you, you mentioned that you have some connections in Spain. Have you, have you noticed that there is a, maybe a, a place in Europe that is kind of maybe becoming the hotbed to, and maybe it's Spain because you're already in there? Or are, I know, I, I think from the college standpoint, people are used to seeing international players in, in the men's game and in the women's game, but a lot of the international players they seem to, to see on the women's game are from Australia. That's yeah. evidently not where you're at in, in Europe or there. Um, but Eastern has had some, a, a few international players, a few from Spain, a few from um, Sabino was from Slovakia. So they're, even Eastern has been exposed to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sabi was one of, was actually the first player I ever recruited and she was Eastern European. I, I really like Eastern European players and their mentality. Um, there's a toughness there that I really resonate with, but in my opinion, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Australia, uh, look at the global scale. You know, the, the, the teams we hear of at the top are Australia, the United States, Spain. You might throw France in there. Um, I think if we're just talking Europe, um, I, can't, I can't ignore Australia. I just don't, yeah. I just don't spend a ton of time there. Uh, Spain is the hotbed, and, and, and particularly Barcelona. And that's kind of where I have to um, spend a ton of my time really working with those players. And, and if you'll notice, I'll probably... 70% of it, the players that we work with are from Spain. Um, and there's a, actually a, a, a club, a high, por- high performance training center in Barcelona called Sigle Bente Uno. And I've recruited there since I was a coach. And it's basically the best players. A lot, a lot of the best players in the country will go there. They'll live there. They'll go to school there. It's like a boarding school. So they're leaving home at a really young age, going to Barcelona and training um, and practicing and, and really working on um, you know, their skills to either prepare them for college or prepare, prepare them for the next level. But a lot of those players do end up coming over here and going pro. I can't, and I can't even name all the ones who are over here right now, but yeah, Spain is, is very heavily recruited and really a powerhouse in my opinion. Now for you, I'm sure I'm assuming more of the perks you get from that is that you get to travel overseas as <laughs> uh, a, a, yeah. a go-to, a go-to place that, that, you always like to try to go back and visit, even if you're not recruiting somebody there. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. I, I do get to spend a lot of time in Barcelona. There, there are worse places to be. Um, than, and my, like I said, my, my partner is there and I've, I've become really close with him and his family and, and been able to spend a lot of time over there in Catalonia. Um, again, hotbed for basketball and, and on a personal note, you know, just traveling the world is, um, very appealing to me. So it's, it's been nice. I miss it. I wasn't able to go last summer, really keeping my fingers crossed that, uh, you know, we can get over there in June or July, but we will see, like I said, typically I get a chance to go over there at least a couple times a year. And then kind of, we'll wrap it up here in just a second with Rachel Galligan on our EIU Panthers podcast. Rachel, you kind of, you've done the coaching, you've been a player, you kind of work in the, the media aspect of this now, putting on your the futuristic voyeur hat here, if people could do that. We talked a little bit about how the game has grown from when you played as a player in college to kind of where it is now. What, what becomes the, what do you see from a media perspective? What is the, the next step in, in the women's game, whether that's at the college level or the WNBA level, or is there, there become more synergy between the two is maybe that's the, the growth. 
you're talking about just as a whole, not just me, right? Yeah, just a, yeah. And then we'll, we'll then we'll find out what the next step for Rachel are too. <laughs> Let me know when I okay. Um, no, I, I do think that the next step is going to be the continued coverage. We've seen so many outlets slam uh, the athletic. Sports Illustrated just came out with a huge series, um, you know, really pushing to cover the game more. I mean, even talk about college basketball and, and what happened with um, the NCAA tournament this year down in Texas and really the, the demand for the quality. And that, that pushed things like ESPN to, to start having segments on the women's tournament on SportsCenter. We hadn't seen that before. So the envelope is being pushed. I think we're, we're seeing um, – you know, a lot of them, the major talking heads dabbling in it a little bit, like Woj, you know, is, is breaking WNBA news and also doing some, some collegiate news. So I think it's going to continue to overlap. I think we're like right here, though. <laughs> you know, I think we have got to I think this is a big summer um, from a momentum standpoint with the league and everything they're trying to do uh, in the 20, 25th year. Uh, but I've always said I'm a huge advocate for you know, we're, we're the league has missed um, tremendously from a grassroots standpoint. You still have interviews with high school players. And I even, I even interviewed a couple draft picks last year and asked them who, who's their favorite WNBA player. Some of these people, some of these kids couldn't even name them, you know? So I do think that we, we are nowhere near where we need to be from a grassroots standpoint of the WNBA watching the college game, which we saw this year, they were on there tweeting about it, talking about it. The, the professionals are, are all over the, the college game. Now we've got to get the college game, the grassroots level players going to games, um, engaging on social media, watching WBA. That's always a big, big question mark. How do I even watch it? So I think it's getting better. Um, and then as that continues to grow, the popularity is only going to continue to grow. I don't see it falling backwards. Hopefully we can start to see more coverage on television, you know, mainstream television, uh, maybe one day, actually, who knows, get a, get a show. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's, it's going in the right direction. And then for you, I guess, how does that, how does this continue to, to progress for you? I know you're, you're, you're kind of, I'm guessing, just kind of hoping to grow the business and you, you'd already mentioned maybe dabble again in coaching, but not hundred percent sure if that's where you want to go. I, I have to, I, I lean on my faith in this very much. And I, um, there's a thousand different directions I feel like I could go. And at some points I feel like, what am I doing? I'm doing a lot of different things, but then I step back and realize that's exactly what I wanted and what I intended, you know, go global is not intended to be the only thing that I do. Um, it, it is a part of what I do. I wanted to do a lot of different things and I wanted it all to be around this game that I love so much. So the media fits really nicely in there. The events that I run in the summertime fits nicely in there. The one thing about coaching that I felt, um, like I had a tough time with was it kind of put me in a box. It put me in a cage and I wasn't able to do go global. I wouldn't be able to do media. So, you know, if, if I were to get back into coaching and again, I, I'm, that's completely on the table. It would need to be, you know, the right time in my life with um, the right staff, the right group of people, um, maybe right location. The stars would have to align in my opinion, but um, I'm open to any and all doors. Um, a lot have closed for me. Um, a lot continue to open. I just really lean on my faith to kind of help guide me in that direction. But for right now, I'm just having a blast doing a lot of different things and staying super busy. <laughs> and then the, the last question, we always kind of try to wrap up with these and, and maybe kind of come full circle for you is you had a great career at Eastern. Is there a, a moment or a game? And we'll think of a highlight more than a low light. We've, we've, we've hit on some of the low lights. Um, 
that kind of stands out to you, like, was the, like, I know you guys get together, you're, you and the, you and the former teammates, is there that game that you guys call it always, you know, is the one you always talk about when you're sitting around having drinks or, and getting together? <laughs> there, there's a lot. Uh, we love to, we love to really kill each other with all the stories, but <laughs> um, I would say our junior year when we, when we broke through and, and made it to Nashville, um, there's a picture of us in the locker room celebrating after the game. And um, that was, a, uh, in my mind, it was a moment in time that, you know, that was the breakthrough. Uh, we hadn't gone to the conference tournament. We hadn't been able to go experience that. Um, and, and to be able to win at home in our final game and, and continue on, because I think at that point it was the first round was at home. Um, yeah, so we won that and then we were going to Nashville. And, and I think in our mind at, at that moment, that was a big breakthrough to be able to experience that um, together and, and solidify the fact that, okay, you know, we've, <laughs> we've really taken this program, that we've really taken that next step. And then from there, I mean, I, my senior year is filled with um, so many memories. I mean, I could think about our senior night, which was just crazy and how uh, we ended up getting beat after we had like the second longest home win streak in the country. Uh, of course, we, lo- we, lo- we lost on senior night, but uh, I think we ended up winning at home in our final game uh, to go back to Nashville. So I think those, those two wins um, to secure our spot in the OVC tournament for me was, was big just because those things hadn't happened a whole lot before that. Good. Well, it was great catching up with you, Rachel. We do appreciate you being a guest on here um, and best of luck on everything down the road here. Thank you. I had a blast. I'll come on anytime. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. <laughs>